Hello and welcome to Autodidacts Anonymous. My name's Matt and I'm an autodidact. I'm Hado and I'm an autodidact. Oh, gee, I'm glad we got I'm glad we got that off our chest, Hado. <laughs> so as you may have noticed, I've just uh, made an executive decision and changed the name of our podcast. Um, it came to me in a, in a moment of inspiration this morning and I liked the sound of it, so I thought, let's do it. There's nothing like waking up when you can't remember your name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I ran it by you and you liked that you, you, you were prepared to humour me with it, so I think that's what we'll go with. So now I've got to change the, the cover art and the tagline and everything. So much work for me. I, I, uh, I feel like I have to do everything around here. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, okay. <laughs> Get that off your chest. <laughs> Right, that's it. You've had your 30-second whinge. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So let's get down to business. So um, today we're talking about Chapter 4 of um, Harari's book, Sapiens, and it's entitled The Flood. Now, in summary, it's a dreadful tale of woe how Sapiens destroys everything that comes across his path. It's a depressing read, kind of. I mean, it's, it's impressive, and depressing at the same time. I think that's a good description. We have this enormous potential, and so often we use it so terribly. Well put. So, starting from the beginning, so Earth, essentially, up until uh, 45,000 years ago, was separated into several unique ecosystems. We had the Afro-Eurasian ecosystem, the American ecosystem, the Australian ecosystem, and the Pacific Islands is a separate zone of its own. Um, so each was made up of a different assembly of animals and plants, and Homo sapiens was the first creature to basically migrate through all of these different ecosystems. Yeah, the wonders of technology. Hmm. So following the, the cognitive revolution, sapiens had the ability to settle in different zones outside of Afro-Eurasia. The first non-Afro-Eurasian zone settled was Australia about 45,000 years ago. And to do this was quite an impressive feat because more than one sea channel needed to be crossed. Yeah. And um, some of them were more than 100 kilometres wide. Yes. So that's some serious boating for 45,000 years ago well, on navigation and so It forth. involves three things. It means you can't even see your target. So yeah. you're doing it on trust, as it were. You're believing that there's something there worth going out to. But if the world is flat, wouldn't you be able to see? Well, if the world were flat, yes, you would. <laughs> the reality is you can't. So you're just looking at this endless expanse of sea yeah. and you go there anyway. Yeah. Um, partially it's curiosity, partially it's belief. Um, it's certainly tying into your mythos thing. Um, but it, it's a huge thing to head off into the great unknown having no, no destination mm. that you know is there. The second thing, of course, is it involves navigational skills. You know, yeah. when you're in the middle of an ocean, you can't see land in any direction. Mm. You've got to work out which way you keep going. Mm. And it's not a case of recognising this rock or tree or, or anything like that. You've yeah. got to be able to navigate. Mm. Uh, and the third thing, of course, is, yes, it requires technology. You've got to make ropes and boats and sails or whatever you're using to get where you want to go. Mm. 
Now, getting to Australia was half of the amazing feat. The other half was that uh, Sapiens had to adapt almost overnight to a completely new ecosystem. Yeah. Because you can't just... I don't think it would have been easy just to set sail and, and head back to, to where you came from. No. Once you committed... It's a bit like settling on the moon. You're probably not going to come back anytime soon. Well, that's right. Apart from the problems of going back against wind and currents and whatever it may be, you've also got the problem that you know we we've now arrived, um, and you know you may have had some plants that you knew how to turn them into ropes, or some mm. animals with long you know fur or something that you could turn into ropes. You get to Australia and they aren't here. Yeah. So you can't renew your technology the way you've been doing things. And you don't know what things are poisonous and, and, all, and what, what creatures are dangerous. What can be edible rest and all And Australia's known for, known for its uh, dangerous creatures. Uh, we, yes. <laughs> dangerous continent. <laughs> um, so it appears that the first the people that lived in the Indonesian archipelago at this time basically had developed the first seafaring society. So they were long-distance traders, fishermen, and explorers. Yeah. So the Spanish and the Portuguese and the Dutch and the, the British can eat your hearts out. People were doing it 45,000 years before you were. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so now we're in a position where an ape, uh, a member of the ape family who is adapted to life on the African savannah, is living a seafaring lifestyle in the Pacific Ocean. So that's, uh, that's quite something. Um, other mammals did go back to the sea, but they took a long time to do it because they had to evolve flippers and blowholes and so forth. We just used technology yeah. and, and brains. Yeah. Um, so the migration to Australia is actually one of the greatest achievements in the history of, of humankind, akin to walking on the moon. Yes. Um, after millions and millions of years of life on Earth, a mammal had finally crossed out of Afro-Eurasia. Yeah. And you... It was a huge step. It, it sets us apart from all other creatures. That, that one journey sets us apart from all other creatures because we have done the step using technology that no other creature had. Mm. Every other creature is relying on its physical adaptations, yeah. etc. Mm. We have shown that we can bypass all that. Yeah. And, but not only the technology... Also, in a sense, the imagination to do it. Yeah. The yeah. cooperation to do it. The cognitive ability. Yeah. Mm. So, um, our migration to Australia was a hugely important turning point in the history of the globe because the moment that Sapiens set foot on the Australian landmass was the first moment that Sapiens had ever been at the top of the food chain. Yes. That's, that's amazing. It is. I had not considered that. Um, and in a sense, it was the beginning of everything that's happened since in the world. It was a milestone in terms of... It, it, like stepping on the moon, it was kind of an announcement that a new creature has arrived who is changing everything. Now, at this stage, we'd already taken over most of the old world. We were already replacing other creatures. We, we were, were at the top of the food chain, though. But in Australia, we were. In Australia, we were... From the first day we arrived, we became the undisputed top of the we chain in Australia. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I am man, fear man. And in a sense, that's, that's, that's just such a huge step. I mean, that's a bigger step than going to the moon. I mean, we didn't go to the moon and then become top of the food chain no. and change the ecosystem. Right. But, Maybe we will one day. Well, 
<coughs> going to the moon, we almost became a spacefaring race. Yeah. Um, we yeah. really need Species. to colonise Mars before we can say that, and then yeah. we are at least interplanetary. Yeah. So we completely transform the entire ecosystem beyond recognition. So we've got all our wonders and praise out of the way, and now the rest is just uh, is a sad tale of woe, well, unless you're a sapiens. <laughs> okay, I, I think we should probably go into that a bit. Um, well, we will be talking about that a lot yeah, okay. as we go forward. Did you want to say something? No, 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 so long as we cover it. Oh, yeah, we'll be covering it, all right. <laughs> um, to give you an example, just some of the animals that were occupying the landmass of Australia at the time were a 200 kilogram six foot tall kangaroo. Now it's funny, I, I read the six foot tall bit and I thought, hang on, kangaroos today can reach up to about eight foot. But I think he means when they're, not when they're stretched out, when they're just sitting on their two yeah. hind legs yeah. and like, you know, big, uh, big greys and stuff. Yeah. They probably aren't six foot when they're just sitting there, but then they, then they stand up and it's like, oh God, yeah. I don't want to take this guy on. Um, a marsupial lion, as big as a modern tiger. So I think that was the um, existing top of the food that chain guy. That would have guy. been an apex predator, yeah. Yeah, the, he was the largest predator on the continent. Um, we had enormous koalas, uh, not as cute and cuddly as the ones we have today. Uh, flightless birds twice the size of ostriches. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't like to argue with an ostrich, to be honest. <laughs> no, no, they can... Uh, and we've got cassowaries here in Australia, and they're, I think, the most dangerous animal the dangerous non-reptile that we have in the country. They can be very vicious. All right. Um, lizards like dragons. Yeah. Uh, Seven-foot-long snakes. Now, I thought we had seven-foot-long snakes in today's world as well. So, anyway, we had long snakes. Uh, well, yeah, okay. They have anacondas and so on, which are huge. No, in Australia, though. We, we have seven-foot-long seven, snakes in Australia, don't we? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. I should know that. But anyway, seven foot long is is apparently how long they were. Now, I don't know how to pronounce this. You might be able to help me out. The giant wombat that weighed two and a half tons. The dip, diprodotin, diprodotin or something, diprodotin. Diprodotin, yeah, yeah, as far as I know. So that, that weighed two and a half tons. It basically stood as tall as a six foot man and was a lot bigger around. Um, to give you an idea of what two and a half tons is... Um, the modern African elephant can be about six tonnes. So it's about half the size of that. A modern Indian elephant, I think, I looked it up, can be about four tonnes. So we're, look, we're talking hippopotamus? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. I don't argue with them either. No. <laughs> so apart from the birds, these large animals were all marsupials, which weren't evolutionarily successful in the old world. But in Australia, they, they reigned supreme. Yeah. Um, now... Coincidentally, I think not. Within a few thousand years of humans' arrival, um, most of these species were extinct. <laughs> uh, of the 24 large land mammals on the continent, 23 became extinct. So yeah. I, I guess that's counting the kangaroo as the, as the survivor. Uh, I don't know, to be honest. It uh, must be. Yeah, I mean, the kangaroo is a large land mammal, as far be. as I know. Um, and, and a number of smaller species disappeared. Also. Oh, yes. I mean, we, we just destroyed the food chain, starting at the top. Yes. So, some scholars have tried to let sapiens off the hook by calling this a coincidence and saying that actually these mass, mass extinctions were due to climate change rather than 
sapiens interference with the ecosystem. But the evidence suggests otherwise, and, and Harari presents three main uh, points of evidence for... Yeah. Uh, and as usual, Harari's arguments are well expressed and really watertight. I love this guy's reasoning. Okay. So there was climate change around 45,000 years ago, coincidentally, when we arrived here, but it was not really extreme or remarkable. So ice ages happen every 100,000 years or so. Yeah. Um, and most of the animals that were here had been here for quite a number of these climate change events. Yeah. And, uh, this, you know, and they'd survived those. As Harari says, look, climate change is always happening. Um, yes, it does cause some extinctions, but it's... Not, not usually 23 of 24. Exactly. It's, it's not a mass extinction event. Yeah. Mm. And normally when you get climate change events and extinctions due to climate change, it affects the sea creatures just as yes. much as it affects the land-based uh, mammals and animals. And that wasn't the case no. at this time. The sea creatures, you know, thrived. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is we have noticed mass extinctions similar to the Australian event every time Sapiens has gone to some new ecosystem. Every single <laughs> yeah. time. Um, for example, New Zealand had megafauna. And, and they were only settled by Sapiens a thousand years ago, 800 years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, they had megafauna then. They don't have any of that now. No. Um, was there a massive climate change event in the last 800 years? No, probably not. No. Madagascar. Another Madagascar. Is that where the dodo was from? Madagascar? Where? Uh, elephant bird was... Right. Um, dodo was New Zealand, I think. No, no. No, no dodo no. was an African... Well, I think it was Madagascar or Mauritius been, or something. Might have been, yeah. Um, and the same thing happened to... There were quite a few mammoths in the islands north of Siberia. Yeah. Until we got there. And yeah. <laughs> now they're not there anymore. Um, it appears that we're ecological serial killers. Yep. Mm. So, how did these Stone Age humans cause such an ecological disaster? And we have three explanations for it. Um, firstly, large animals breed slowly. Yeah. So, you don't have to necessarily kill that many of them before you have more dying than are actually being born. Yeah, and it's not just... Most of them do breed slowly. Some of them don't, but only a few of them actually make it to adulthood. So yeah. it amounts to the same thing either way. Yeah, yeah. And what I find really interesting is... He's included this in the same, same sort of explanation, but I, would, would have, I thought this was the most interesting of all. So you had a situation where none of these animals had gotten used to humans and how dangerous they were, as no. opposed to the animals in Africa yeah. who would keep their distance. Because in Africa, hominids had been wandering around for two million years, yeah. and they'd realised that these funny monkey things on two legs, you needed, were crafty. To, you needed to treat them with a bit of, mm. bit of care and caution, yeah. Yeah. Um, Australian animals had no chance. Had no idea. So... I mean, yeah, because I, I, I used to wonder, how did we kill all these these massive animals? But you could probably walk up to one of these giant wombats, give it a pat, and yeah. cut its throat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. I mean, that, that, I mean, it must have been paradise when, they, when the humans got here. They were like, this is the Garden of Eden. I mean, yeah. this is just food for the taking. Absolutely. And look, uh, <clears throat> when we got to the Galapagos Islands, the Galapagos turtle, which is... Now, tortoise, which is now the largest one in the world, um, showed no fear. You could yeah. literally walk up and slit its throat. Yeah, 
And that, they, they're still like that to this day, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, because it's only been, what, 100 years, so yeah. <laughs> they haven't evolved and, too much. And also, happily, they are protected now. Fun fact for you. Did you know that Steve Irwin owned the same, very same tortoise that Charles Darwin owned? They both shared the same pet. Not the same breed, not the same species, the same actual animal. Ah, no, that's another view. And I think it might have been a Galapagos. Yeah, yeah that, that would be right. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. You didn't know that, did you? Um, now, humans had the use of fire. So I find this fascinating as well. So being Australian, we're used to thinking of, of eucalypts, i.e. gum trees, being our, our native flora. Yeah. And that's what dominates the landscape. Yeah. Not the case at all. No. It's just that gum trees are very fire resistant and grow back very quickly from fire events. Yeah. And humans came to Australia and burnt the joint down. Yeah, I, I was interested to see that uh, Harari uses the term fire agriculture. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it... Well, it's a, bar- it's a big barbecue. Yeah, exactly. And it, it just clears all the land, which is much the same thing that they're doing in the Amazon. Yeah, they, they wouldn't have been... I, I, I could be wrong on this. I don't think they would have been trying to clear the land per se, or there was a little bit of farming in Australia. They it, were just starting they, to develop They it. weren't clearing the land for the purposes of farming it. They were clearing the land to make it more suitable for the type of hunting they wanted to do. Yeah, and also to kill and cook a lot of animals at the same time. It, I would have thought that would have been the biggest They did all that pretty good too. Yeah. So koalas thrived because they live on eucalyptus uh, gums, uh, eucalyptus leaves, Um, but most animals suffered because not only did they die, but the the food chain would collapse as well. So once again, the arrival of humanity, and I use the term humanity as homo sapiens post the cognitive yeah, and we're, I mean, that's all that's left now anyway. So, I mean, I, let's face it, I, I use humanity for yeah. that as well. Um, but I, I'm trying to use sapiens, but we'll get off that at yeah, some point. Yeah, look, I, I, I refer to the rest as hominids, no, yeah, no okay. problem. But uh, the arrival of humanity has, natural selection has virtually ended. It is all human selection. Yeah. You know, the... Cultural selection, which mm. could we call it? Well... Yeah, but I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about the koalas and you. Oh, and yeah, else. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, there may have been some climate damage as well. Um, so it may have been the case that in previous ice ages that some of these big mammals almost did become extinct and yeah. just managed to scrape through and yeah. possibly evolved and so forth. Um, so there might have been some climate. You know, the climate's an important yeah, thing. No, no, Harari is saying, look, you know, when you've got problems coming at you from more than one direction, you've got humans and yeah. then you've got climate and then you've got yeah. your agriculture changing and everything else, yeah. it's very hard to develop a survival strategy. Yeah. So humans certainly prevented any recovery from uh, climate yeah. disaster that might have otherwise taken place. We're not known for stopping at 90% either. Um, even where we try and protect creatures like right right white rhinoceroses or something, there's still humans around who go and poach them. We, we just yeah. don't seem to know when to stop. No. Postal pigeons. Postal uh, yeah, pigeons. They, they were once the most numerous bird in America, completely wiped out in the space of under 10 years. We got into their nesting grounds, wiped them out. So what, well, why were we wiping them out? Just clearing the land or, uh, or no, were we eating them? 
uh, we yeah we were eating and we were eating the eggs. Um, mm. but... Okay. So speaking of America, a similar story happened in America when humanity uh, hit that yep. uh, hit that landmass. Um, so sapiens were the only human species to reach the American landmass. So uh, you know, and that happened about sixteen thousand years ago. Yep. Um, they arrived on foot across the Bering Strait between Siberia and Alaska. No trivial feat. Well, we're, we're going to talk a bit, bit more about that. So at the time, um, Siberia and Alaska were joined by a land bridge because sea levels were lower. Yep. Um, but it was bloody cold. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, around minus 50 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Uh, one of the things which... He doesn't really mention here, but we are one tough creature as well. You know, it's the old story that when the fighting was going on in Stalingrad in World War II, the rats left. The human beings just carried on manufacturing munitions, you know. <laughs> the, other, the other thing that springs to mind is a lot of the time when we were running around chasing animals in Africa, we weren't fast enough to catch them mm. um, and we weren't strong enough to beat them in a fight. But we never gave up. We would chase and chase and chase an animal until it just became so exhausted it would just be lying down, you know, lying down, not able to move. Yeah. And yeah. then then you get your award. Pursued hunters. And, yeah. you know, when we look at the Australian scene, you know, they arrived in Australia with these 200, you know, two and a half ton creatures, etc. They didn't even have bows and arrows. Yeah. Never invented bows and arrows in Australia, possibly because it's very hard to make a drawstring. Um, Right. They, did, they did come up with boomerangs, but, you know, it, it was... And they had um, spear throwers as well. They did uh, have, I've forgotten what they're called. They did have spears, yes. Yeah. Um, now, even the Neanderthals, who were a lot better suited than us to cold climbs, were not able to cross the Bering Strait, yeah. or what is now the Bering Strait. Uh, but Sapiens did it. Now, yeah. why do you, how do you think they did well, again, it's... See, the stuff we have, like having a naked body, walking upright, this sort of stuff, the stuff all the hominids have, isn't what makes us unique in one sense. Because, yeah, we had all those things, but it doesn't... It, it wasn't a major survival advantage. Yeah. But once you join it with the cognitive thing... Yeah. It means that we can wear clothes, which means we can one, run around in hot climates and sweat. We get up into yeah. the north, we start wearing other people's skin. You, you hit it on the head. Essentially, it will fire. Yeah. It's handy, but yeah. the Neanderthals and other, other humans did have fire. Yeah. But clothes. Yeah. And, 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 and clothes that were able to be stitched together. So we're talking about the invention of the needle. That, yeah. was, that was without the needle... Uh, I don't think we settled America 16 or 18,000, 16,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, we also were able to develop new weapons fairly quickly and sophisticated hunting techniques to kill mammoths yeah. and other big game. But why do we bother? Like, what, you know, why were people spreading out so quickly? I mean, were they, were they escaping war? You know, why would you go up to Siberia where it's just getting colder and colder and colder? You know, are you, are, are you escaping a war... Have you got demographic pressures? Are there natural disasters? Or maybe they just like the look of the mammoths, the look of the meat, the fats, the furs, and the ivory. Uh, well, certainly the last one. But yeah, demogra dem dem demographic. Yes. Uh, we, like all creatures, we breed 
we produce a lot of children, the challenge has always been how many of those get to reach adulthood. Now, human children are totally dependent, so you've got to do a lot of supporting of them. Yeah. Um, so you see a rich source of food or something like mammoths, and this, you know, this will enable you to bring your kids up. I, I, I once watched a, a series of lectures online, sort of the history of the world, starting back in these times. And, and the, the lecturer, it was really interesting, and the professor sort of asked this same question. And he had a theory. It wasn't proven or anything, but he suspects that the reason we kept on moving further and further away was due to grumpy old men wanting to get away from the kids <laughs> and the missus. And, uh, you know, it's just speculation. But there's something to that. You know, you get to 50 or whatever, and you've just had enough. And you just go, you're just going to go a bit further along the coastline. And if you, if you look at the, the migration tracks of humans, I mean, they hit Australia before they hit Europe. Because Australia, if you follow the, clo- the coastline, and then you do a bit of sailing in the end, you're in Australia. Whereas Europe, you know, you, you're not necessarily following the coastline to get to Europe. You know, you've got to go through some mountains yeah. and things. Look, I've heard the other... I, mean, I like the theory. That, that's, that's the theory you'd expect a grumpy old professor to come Well, exactly, and yeah. And he said it with a smile on his face. Indeed. And my understanding is the student's theory is that they wanted to get away from the grumpy old man and it was a student's yeah, theory. Yeah, yeah. But there would have been a lot of this stuff going on. Oh, oh look, I'm just going to move. I'm not leaving. I'm just moving down the road a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> And I do think grumpy old men are the most likely to want to do that. Um, so I didn't know this, but initially I thought we, we, went, we went over to Alaska and then fairly quickly, quickly spread through the rest of the Americas, which we did. Yeah. But for the first couple of thousand years, we were blocked by glaciers. So, yeah. so you know, we lived in Alaska for 2,000 years. God, yeah. that's, that's rough. Yeah. Um, we, are, we are a tough creature. Mm. Um, yeah, and we wear clothes. And we wear clothes. And, <laughs> and, we, and we build, build igloos. And because we stand up, we've got our opposable thumbs free for using tools and stuff like this. The stuff which was incidental became so very effective once yeah. we got our opti- Optimise our advantages. Yeah. Um, so around 12,000 BCE, the ice melted and opened up a passage south. And, and very quickly, mass migration ensured and humans covered from the top of America to the southern island of Terra del Fuego <laughs> within 2,000 years. Yeah, that is amazing. Now, I have seen some other studies which suggest maybe they also crossed the Atlantic and actually got to South America by another route too. There do seem to be oh. two, two views right. going on here okay. um, because there seems to be an interesting mix of genes as to what's going on. Okay, but that's interesting. That's, I didn't know that. Yeah. I find both of them incredible. I mean, mm. crossing the Atlantic and spreading the whole way down America. Well, I would say crossing uh, from Siberia to Alaska is, is a harder thing to do than, sail, than sailing from Indonesia to Australia. Yes. As remarkable um, as that Also was. huge. Uh, uh, the thing about the Alaska thing is it is at least incremental, mm. whereas the getting to Australia... Yeah, or nothing. Was, yeah, it was kind of a quantum leap. Yeah, yeah. Um... And throughout the Americas, humans were living in so many different varied environments, including desert, forests, swamps, rivers, mountains, yeah. and plains. Again, it, it gets back to this. It gets back to technology, the power of technology, and also this naked form and clothing and stuff like this. Very, yeah. very adaptable. Mm. Um, fur actually would have slowed us down. Yep. Fire, wonderful stuff. Yeah. 
And I'll give you one guess as to who you think paid the price for this uh, rapid human expansion uh, throughout the Americas. Pretty much every species around. <laughs> well, the insects probably did okay. Well, but, uh, certainly the apex predators. Are yeah, the, the large mammals. Yeah. So back in these times, when, when humans first got to America, there were mammoths. Mm-hmm. There were mastodons, mm-hmm. all the creatures we'd look at when we were kids and just go, these are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, saber-toothed tigers, yeah. um, rodents the size of bears. I, yeah. I'm not, I can't say I'm, I'm missing them too much, to be honest with you. Um, plenty of horses and camels, which is interesting because horses were native to the Americas, yeah. then became extinct and then had to be reintroduced back from Afro-Eurasia. Yeah, and interestingly enough too, in killing off the horses and camels, they eliminated creatures they could have domesticated and used for warfare, etc. Yes, they so, did. That's so a good point. they actually made themselves <coughs> vulnerable to the next wave of human. Very good point. Um, oversized lions they had apparently, and giant sloths, 20 feet tall and 8 tons in weight. Now that's, yep. that's 33% heavier than an African elephant today. Yeah. Huge. Oh, they would have been good eating too. Oh. And slow. <laughs> slow, yeah. Slow, fat critters, we love them. <laughs> Humans' eyes just, you know, bugged out of their head when they saw them. Um, so within 2,000 years, most of these species were gone. Yeah. I'm sad. Um, so the first wave of sapiens migration, which is what we're talking about now, was the biggest and swiftest ecological disaster in history. Sapiens drove to extinction about half of the planet's big beasts long before we even started farming. Yeah. And this is where, you know, the difference between being an animal of no significance, chapter one, the hominids in general, and then post-cognitive humanity, where we're changing the face of the earth. Yeah. Um, way before we've got to you know, science and technology and the stuff we see nowadays, we yeah. were massive extinction events, completely out of the league of any other creature. Hmm. And this book brings that to light really well. I think we tend to think that um, you know primitive humans lived at one in, in harmony with nature yeah. and, and all of that, but you know probably not the case. Well, we've got. I didn't get my education in Australia for that. I lived on a couple of other continents, but there is this this myth that's taught that you know Australian Aboriginals live in harmony with the land and all this sort of thing. After forty five thousand years here, maybe they they learn to do that. I've got some thoughts on that, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll come to that yeah, sure. in a minute. Um, this pattern has been repeated time after time as man has settled new islands with distinctive fauna and Madagascar, the Pacific Islands, and, and others that we, we, we spoke a little bit about before earlier. We're now, since the Industrial Revolution, we're actually getting to the point where sea animals are starting to, to die out as well. Yeah. So that's a, that's a nice happy note to, to end the chapter on. <laughs> yeah, we, we haven't learned anything from we, no. whether or not we've forgotten the lessons of history or just ignored them but nothing's changed yeah yeah it's one thing for me to learn a lesson but it's not like i affect what everyone and what all of the rest of humanity is doing and that's the thing i mean we learn individually and act collectively in a sense yeah we, um, i'm sure we'll get to tackle a book on 
why we behave cooperatively the way we do. That's a sociological feature. Yeah, yeah. So that, that pretty much wraps up the chapter, unless you had something you wanted to add before I get to unanswerable questions that you need to get perfect score for. Well, the point I'm getting out of this chapter is we are totally different to other creatures. We should never forget that we are just an animal and our physical form has some unique features. We've got this oversized brain that all hominids have. We have this naked pelt, which means we need to wear skins. We've got this upright posture. We've got these hands, etc. We cook and digest our food. Now, those are all special survival features. But it was when we got that one gene that changed our headset that we suddenly stepped from being another animal of no particular significance to being something completely different. Now, people are trying to say we're just another animal. We are not just another animal. No other animal on the planet can do the things we did 70,000 years ago. No mm. other animal on the planet can compete with us on sheer survival. The only, for the last 70,000 years, apart from things like viruses, the only thing a human being has to fear is another band of human beings. Mm. There is no other serious danger to human beings. I mean, mm. that, that's, that's a huge statement. Yeah, there's no question about any of that. It doesn't mean that we're not just another animal, though. It does mean that we are not just another animal. We are an animal that sits in our own single category more dangerous, more talented, and with greater potential than any other animal that's walked the same. So, so we formed a new category, the, the human category. Absolutely. Okay. Now, the other thing which I get from this is, you know, Arthur C. Clarke's 2001 Space Odyssey, where the, the monoliths supposedly teach and change the brain set of a bunch of ape-like hominids. Um, actually might be right. You know, where did this gene that changed us from just being another animal of no significance to being this critter that changes the whole world, where did that come from? So you're, you're obviously very, very interested in that question. It's starting to sound like you think if we can answer that question, that might be the key to a lot of mysteries about to my, to my mind, we're talking about the origin of humanity. Uh, well, I'm talking about humanity at, you know, okay. You You're talking about humanity in a cultural context, essentially, as opposed to bio biology, biological well, context. Well, possibly a spiritual context, too, because yeah. what I'm saying, we got this brain on top. But the brain, you know, the hominids have a brain, the dolphins have a brain. Then we also got this thing yeah. which joined it all together. Yeah, it's not our brains that make us so different. It's our ability to cooperate collectively. That's one part Flexibly. of it. One part of it. Um, and this is the thing. There's so many parts of it. It enables us to cooperate. It enables us to do maths and language and storytelling and mythos and technology. Again... It enabled us to use these opposable thumbs that we've got in a way no other creature had. But we didn't get to the top of the food chain by doing maths. No. I mean, that, that helps us now. Yeah, okay. But it may be that we managed to get to Australia by doing maths. I mm. mean, this is part Maybe. of the navigation thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so can I ask you some unanswerable questions? You're very good at that. <laughs> so... 
in primary school in Australia, we were, and we, we have already touched on this, yeah. but we were taught about the first Australians and how they lived in blissful harmony with nature. Is this true? Well, clearly it isn't. Um, they did learn to live in some harmony with nature, much as the Native American Indians, etc. When they had to. When they had that to. That was going to be my statement. And, and also, that's after they've completely changed nature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, this wasn't a question of we've arrived and we'll accept what's here and learn to live with it. Yeah. No, if we don't like it, we'll change it. Yeah. See, most Australians don't know that there were all these megafauna running around the place before yeah. humans got here. And they certainly don't know that eucalyptus trees were rare before humans got no. here. I mean, you know, we just changed the whole face of the place. Yeah. And um, I don't think we lived in harmony with nature for the first 2,000 years. And I think what happened then is more scarcity came about and then they had to start thinking about, oh, hang on, we can't kill all the kangaroos because we need kangaroos next year to be able to eat and, and yeah. so forth. Whereas in the early days, it sounds like they just went hell for leather. Yeah, and look, uh, even now, it, it hasn't changed much. We tend to kill a species off beyond a recovery yeah. point. Um, the other thing too, in that happy mythos one got taught at school, which I missed out on, thank goodness, um, there was also a suggestion, you know, that Aborigines arrived in Australia 40,000 years ago and then came the white man's invasion. Well, there wasn't. Uh, there was a second invasion at least 20,000 years ago. Yes. Um, and that's evidenced by the languages. A new group of languages arrived 20,000 years ago. Right, and my understanding is that when, is when the dingo arrived in Australia, which is, you know, I've always thought of Australia's native dog, but it's not. It's not, it's not a marsupial. It's, actually, it's, a, it's a dog. Actually, no, I, I was driven to do some fact-checking okay. about by your comments. The dingo only arrived somewhere between four and the most 12,000 years ago. Like I said, subsequent to the second migration. <laughs> it, yeah, so subsequent is right. The latest idea a couple of scholars are arguing from the Australian National University is that it was 4,000 years ago. Okay. Um, that reason. See, I, I often, the thing I always stood out to me is like, why do we have this kind of native wolf where nothing else, we don't have anything else like that? Correct. It's not really native. It's just... I mean, quite, quite clearly, the only way a mammal gets to Australia is with human beings. Yeah, yeah. So, next question for you. Don't know if you know this one. I think you do. Why does Australia have so many poisonous creatures? We're famous worldwide for our poisonous snakes, I believe. Don't fact check me too much, but I believe we've got seven of the ten most poisonous snakes well, in Australia. And obviously we've got some really poisonous spiders as well. And they've got nothing to kill. They've got nothing big to kill. What's going on? Well, this is a very good question and it's one of the unanswerable questions. Um, Douglas Adams wrote some wonderful stuff about Australia. Um, and he included in it the fact that in Australia you've only got three categories of thing. You've got creatures who are poisonous, creatures who are odd, <laughs> and sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that really classified all the human beings as well. They're either poisonous <laughs> or sheep. <laughs> we, we autodidacts are unquestionably odd. Yeah. Um, but there's an awful lot of human sheep as well. Yeah. However... Um, the poisonous thing, he, he made the point, if you say that Australia has nine out of ten of the most poisonous spiders in the world, you're really understating the problem. Australia has nine out of nine of the most poisonous spiders in the world. Yeah. Um, why? It's a good question. Well, I think I know why. 
shoot. Because we had these enormous marsupials running around that needed a lot of poison in, in injected into their system to, to kill them. It's not actually normal for spiders to spend their time... Trying, trying to kill them. Exactly. That's true. I've heard a number of... And, and, and also, these animals would have evolved prior to the mammals. Co- correct. Maybe it was back in the dinosaur no, days. No, I... Okay, I've heard a number of theories. I'm not even going to bother to tell you about them because none of them come close to the covering thing. Yeah. So, but I will make a couple of points. One is we've got over 2,000 different types of spiders in Australia. So nine of them are among the nine most poisonous in the world, yes. Um, but it's still only a fairly small proportion of spiders that are seriously poisonous in any way. Yeah. Second thing is... Most of them don't hang around the sea coasts. They're more inclined to be in land. Why is this that? Well, the human population is around the sea coast. Yeah. I think one of the reasons we've got so many poisonous spiders and other spiders around Australia is we actually have the least dense population of humans. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, you've, you've done well there. I hadn't thought of that. Okay. Um, my next question. If we think of Earth as a body... Gaia, Gaia, if you like. Um, are humans the virus on the body of Gaia? Well, certainly this was what Smith was arguing in The Matrix, and he's, he's got the point. Yeah, we, he did do, say that. we do just, oh, like every other creature, we breed to the limits of the resources to sustain us. And we then, just haven't reached our limits yet. And then we just keep going. Yeah. Um, so. In that sense, we are behaving like a virus or any other creature, and yes, we certainly go as far as killing the host. Um, we are an intelligent creature, but emotionally, our emotions are just... Mm. We, we don't take that into account. I don't like Gaia theory any more than I like ontology, and I don't... I don't like this idea that the earth will react to us and stuff like this. Um, but yes, we do behave like any other creature and mm. we don't seem to use our intelligence. I suppose us. in a sense we've, we've become too evolutionarily successful. Yes, we have. At the expense, at the cost, the expense of the environment. Yes. we And... I do agree that unless we learn to use our intelligence to overcome our innate nature, Mm. it's going to be very bad for us. Yes. Okay, my last question. If if people were more aware of of this great extinction that we've spoken about today and all the issues we have caused going back so many thousands of years through history, do you think we'd be less nonchalant about our current environmental issues? I would like to think so. I'm not sure that I have that much confidence in human wisdom, if you like. Mm. Um, I don't think we've got our political act together and I don't think we've got our cooperative act together to deal with the complexity of the problems in the 21st century. Mm. And also... Given our nation-state model, and we, and, you know, global problems are difficult to solve. Yes. We, we are brilliant at dealing with an immediate, commonly recognised problem or yeah. threat. 
Yeah. Uh, we are brilliantly cooperative species once we all agree that this is the problem that needs to be addressed. Mm. But when you've got a whole range of complex problems spreading around the earth, impacting different people in different ways, we actually deal with that very badly. Mm. Yeah. So you came up with one unanswerable there. I didn't really have an answer for poison. Oh, spiders. well, that, I'm sorry you're, you're out of the podcast. I'll have to find somebody else to do it with next week. <laughs> <laughs> Someone smarter than you. <laughs> Um, all right, we're done, we're done for today. Uh, hello. Um, once again, an interesting conversation. I always enjoy our little chats. Always good talking with you. Yeah, and um, I'll see you next time when we move on to the agricultural revolution. So we won't have to talk about sapiens and you know standing on two legs and all that. We can start just talking about humanity as we know it. Yes, we get closer to a recognisable society. Yeah, and that's also when where most history books begin yes. around that time. So getting into some more rec uh, more recognisable history from, from next time. All right. Uh, until then, see you on the flip-flop. <laughs> Yay!